We have come on a pilgrimage, a Christmas pilgrimage to the Republic of Ireland, to the southeast corner, just about uh, 100 miles south of Dublin, to the town of Wexford. And this is the home of traditional carols that have been handed down for hundreds of years, from ear to mouth and mouth to ear. And we're going to hear some beautiful versions of them by a brilliant singer called Katrina O'Leary, who's recorded them with a bunch of top artists. But we're also going to go and find the tradition bearers. We're going to find the people who have handed these on and who learned them from their own fathers, who learned them from their fathers. So this is a festive edition of Folk on Foot in Wexford. And here come the Wexford carols. How lovely to see you. Well, thank you. It's lovely, it, to, lovely it's to great to be here in Wexford, you and yes. you're looking incredibly glamorous. Oh, thank you so much. With a sort of pink <laughs> ruffled outfit and a, a wonderful striped suit, you know, and a hat. I, Very festive. I do love to dress up for occasions. <laughs> <laughs> and we're here in Wexford to celebrate the Wexford Carols. What first yes. drew you to them? I think that I first encountered them when I was a child. We lived in Limerick, I've lived all over Ireland, but we lived in Limerick at that time. And my parents brought us to Midnight Mass at Glenstall Abbey, where Noreen Nereen, the singer, often sang with the monks of Glenstall. And a few years later, or in the mid-90s, they released, or she released an album with them called The Darkest Midnight. And, um, Which is the name of one of the carols. It is the name of one of the carols, yes. But anyway, from the time of, of, of getting her album, The Darkest Midnight, Oh, I was just absolutely fascinated by the carols because they haven't been very well known in Ireland. They are very well known within Wexford, for sure. In the county? In the, in the county of Wexford, yes. But in the rest of the country, they hadn't really been so well known. And what was it about them that fascinated you so much? The fact that they're Irish, for one. Yeah. The soul yeah. in them I find very, very um, strong, real... Oh, they communicate with me just very, very deeply on a non-verbal level, obviously, because <laughs> I can't find the words. Um, and also the traditional style of singing them, which is so very ornamented. But the other interesting thing about these carols is that they were actually written. They're not just an oral part of an oral tradition. There were two people, I think, who were very significant in composing and, and writing these words. Yes. Tell us about them. Yes, well, first of all, there's a wonderful man of whom I'm very fond <laughs> um, called Luke Wadding. He was the Bishop of Ferns and he was part of a wealthy merchant family from Wexford Town. I say I'm very fond of him, talking about he was from the 17th century, so I haven't actually met him. But, <laughs> but, um, but you yeah, like but the I, idea of him. I really do. Right. <laughs> in um, 1649, Cromwell's forces were in Ireland and there was a very famous sack of Wexford. A very was, brutal incident, wasn't it? It was. Basically, there were political allegiances shifting all the time and the Protestant ascendancy and the establishment were intent on keeping down anyone who disagreed with them, so Catholics and actually Quakers and Presbyterians as well. 
they were very badly treated and discriminated against. And they put a lot of people to the sword they and, did. They, and hanged a lot of people they to, did, to the right. sin of being a Catholic. That's right, yeah. What effect did it have on the population? Uh, it decimated the population in the aftermath, certainly by the time... Well, Luke Wadding went into exile in Paris. He was away for 17 years. And when he came back, the Catholic population of Wexford had been reduced from from something like 2,000 to about 400, something like that. And people had just been put to death? People had been put to death and and also had had just left, had fled. Um, so what happened to Luke, Bishop Wadding? Well, Luke Wadding's father was, was killed at that time, was killed during the sack. Luke himself immigrated, as a lot of Catholics did. They, they went into exile. And he studied at the Irish College in Paris and obtained a um, Doctor of Divinity from the Sorbonne. He came back in um, 1668 and in 1684 he published a collection of poems the byline under the title of each poem would say to be sung to the tune of some English tunes, some Irish tunes and even a couple of Scottish ones in there as well What was the name of that collection? That was called A Small Garland of Pious and Godly Songs and he wrote it specifically to comfort People like him, formerly landed gentry, who had been dispossessed. Um, so there was so the bishop, wrote, and so then there was, there was the, the, the other person, Father, Father William Deverex. Father William Deverex, who was from County Wexford. He um, went abroad to study, as many men did who could, um, at the Irish College in Salamanca in Spain, where he was ordained a priest. He came back in 1728. And it's, it's, it's thought, it's believed that in that year he wrote a new set of carols that he called A New Garland Containing Songs for Christmas. And so they were almost them, like a, a building on the existing yes, exactly. Wadding Which, carols. Yes, and, and it's entirely likely that the Wadding carols were already building on the tradition of singing carols here as well. And by the way, the Wadding carols weren't just for Christmas. They were for all kinds of days. And they were hand copied and existed in multiple manuscripts. And even more importantly, though, then they were just incorporated into a tradition and they were passed on orally, mouth to ear to mouth to ear, for generations and generations. And we should say that they had to go underground in, in some periods did. of time, didn't they? they? Because did. the, the Catholics was, continued to be persecuted in, in later right. years. That's right. For example, in 1678, there was the so-called popish plot of Titus Oates and mass was completely disallowed and Luke Wadding has a song called This Is Our Christmas Day that laments and mourns the fact that it's Christmas Day but we can't say mass there's you know none of the carols are heard none of the bells are heard and Father Deverex wasn't allowed people weren't allowed to build Catholic churches at that time they weren't allowed to build Catholic churches out of stone they could have mass in the corner of a field on a mass rock in, in, in secret, or they could build a wooden structure. So there were several of these wooden thatched roof chapels in existence. But um, it is supposed that the vast majority of these songs that we now know as the Wexford carols were first sung in the corner of the field where Father Deverex had his, had his altar. Well, now we've come into the grounds of a very large building, which is a friary here in Wexford, yes. which presumably must have a fairly chequered 
history uh, as a Franciscan foundation. Yes. It must have been closed down from time to time exactly. and then reopened, is that right? It was founded, I think, in the 13th century or something like that um, by the Franciscans and it was confiscated from them and, and was leased to Protestant tenants for a while as well before the Franciscans were allowed back in. And during that time when the Franciscans were banished, I believe they said mass in a small hut just nearby. Shall we go inside the friary and maybe inside there there would be a good acoustic for you to sing one of the carols? I hope so. I haven't, I've I've never sung in here, so I'm delighted to try it out. (laughs) On Christmas night, all Christians sing To hear the news the angels bring News of great joy of great mirth, news of a merciful king's birth. The king of kings of earth and heaven, the king of angels and of absolutely beautiful and it's a very special place to hear that sung isn't it why is this church next to the friary here why is this so important 
Well, because we're standing, hopefully not on, but right next to um, the final resting place of Bishop Luke Wadding. He's buried here. Who wrote that carol? Who wrote this carol, yes. That's an amazing thing. And I think they found his notebook here as well, didn't they? I don't think it's here any longer, but I believe they found a notebook belonging to him. His notebook, which contains a huge amount of information about him and a, a full inventory of his um, possessions, including his vast library, um, is now in the Franciscan Library in Kalini in Dublin. When you were researching these carols, what sources did you use? Did you look at his notebook? I did. I looked at his notebook. I was actually thrilled, skinny, giddy, <laughs> to be able to hold in my hands the 1728 edition of his garland. It was then called the Pious Garland. So 1684 was the first edition published in Ghent, and 1728 there was um, an edition published in London because it was so popular, it, um, it, it sold out of its first and second editions. So in answer so to your where question... Did, where did you find it? I found that in the National Library in Dublin. Of course, it just has the words. And he wrote many, many carols for all kinds of different occasions and several of them for Christmas. And this is one of the Christmas carols. None of them have uh, printed music with them, but they are all, or several of them are indicated to be sung to this tune or that tune, popular song of the day, English folk tunes, Irish folk tunes, and um, even a couple of Scottish ones in there that were well-known tunes to which you could sing these poems. And did you then go and have to search out those tunes as well? I did. Now, some of them are still sung traditionally. Micro-changes happen when they're passed on orally, as is the tradition here. But some of the tunes had been forgotten, were no longer sung popularly. And yes, with a bit of detective work, I did find what I think were the original tunes that he had intended them to be sung to. Well, let's go out again now and walk to the nearby abbey and maybe we'll have some more carols there. Yeah, great. We're going to Selskar Abbey now. What sort of a place is that? Well, Selskar Abbey is believed to have been built on a former Norse site of worship. Wexford was founded by Vikings and um, it was possibly a temple to Odin before becoming a Christian abbey. And on the way, um, we're going to pass a house, I think, that's very significant. Yes, it's possibly, possibly, according to some 20th century historians, on the site of where Luke Wadding lived. Right. So, it's very I feel like we're I've really never, sort of touching the history of these, of these carols here. Yes. We're really so close just to here, it. Just here, just here. Here, <laughs> in the beauty now, spa and salon. What is now Bree Jean's Health and Beauty Spa? In there. But I mean, I have to say, Katrina, that these gates look like Luke Wadding could have put them up, the rusty <laughs> iron gates. Here. They're probably only about 10 years old, but yeah. And we can <laughs> right look through the them <laughs> to see a rather overgrown courtyard. Yes. And do you think it's that house there on the right? There's a white house looking through the overgrown That house courtyard. was, I, th I believe that's Clarence House, which was built upon the um, site of a house that used to be lived in by former bishops of Ferns. So, so we you know, could be looking at the place. We could, we could, could he have written the carols here, do you think? Um, he could have. He could have. He published them in Ghent, but um, he could have absolutely written them here. Wow. Yes. He certainly dedicated them to the people of Wexford. So, oh yeah, I, I'd say he, he wrote them while he was here, while he was in Wexford, yes. Let's keep moving on to the Abbey. Yes.
you're hearing in the background quite a bit of noise, that's because we're walking through the bustling high street of Wexford, through the shops, through a kind of pedestrianised area. It's rather an attractive town centre, this, isn't it? It's lovely, yeah. Yeah, there's a lovely it's shoe shop on our left here. Saturday afternoon. And it's very much a, a town of the sea, because we're very close to the port the here, harbor. aren't we? And all of that was reclaimed land, by the way. Where we are right now was the Strand. Oh, really? Um, before so this is where the sea used to come up to? Yes, yes. My goodness. Yeah. And do you think the people who are walking past us here, contemporary Wexfordians, do you think they're well aware of the carol tradition? I really couldn't say. So we're arriving at the Abbey now, which is partly ruined and I can see some foliage coming out between the battlements on the tower and there's no roof on that on that nave but it's still a very imposing structure isn't it Katrina? It is, beautiful red stone, yeah. gorgeous valerian poking out through the bits of wall too and the, this is part of the walls of, of Wexford right here. So there were fortifications around yes. the walls? Yes, until, <laughs> until Cromwell. Right. Yes, here we are, there's a plaque saying town wall. So we can go up these steps here and then we can get into the abbey through a very narrow gate, but the, the wall is going up above us with a, an arched window with, with no glass in it, of course, and, and no roof on the building, but it's still a substantial wall. And we'll go through the gate and as we come through we see the graveyard just opening up in front of us and it's quite overgrown but in a rather attractive way where there are flowers coming up between the gravestones and then the pillars of the building in red stone are sort of marching away into the distance. Anne Gubbins is here, she's been showing a tour around uh, the Abbey. Can you tell us a little bit Anne about the history of the building? Selsker Abbey was built by the Normans who came to Ireland in 1169. It has had a long and varied history since then and it's our pleasure to take people around and show how the history of Selsker interacted with Irish history and Wexford history generally. So we have some great stories, some of them historically accurate, some of them local legend and they're all entertaining. Can you so. tell us a, a local legend about the place? Well the local legend about the founding of Selsker Abbey relates to the family of the Della Rocha Norman family whose son Alexander fell in love with a local Wexford lass as many do her name was Catherine and uh, Alexander's family were not very impressed that uh, this romance was blossoming and they sent Alexander to the Crusades and that was a 10-year commitment at that time Alexander went away and word came back to Wexford that he'd been killed Catherine heartbroken went to a nunnery and dedicated the rest of her life to God so when Alexander did come back he found that Catherine wasn't available to marry him and he is reputed to have founded this monastery with his broken heart and the fortune of his Della Roche family so a legend it's probably more likely that church was built by William Marshall who built so many other beautiful churches around Wexford but we don't have any historical record of for either story. <laughs> I like the myth. I like yeah, the, myth the myth very much good. more. It's very romantic, <laughs> isn't it, it really? It. And, the, and that lost love. Yeah. And, and what sort of condition is it in now? Because it's sort of semi-ruined, isn't it? But there it's, are still substantial parts of the building standing. Well, 
most of it that's standing was built in 1823 so it's quite modern the part it's just over 200 years old the part that's still here the stones were taken from the old building the old monastery and there are mock-ups that we have done showing what it would have looked like back in medieval times it survived the dissolution of the monasteries uh, Henry VIII it, it survived that period and fell foul of Cromwell's forces in 1650 and he came to Wexford and had a very a disastrous effect on people here, didn't he? I mean, he, he was very violent and put down a lot of people who in, were Catholics. Indeed, there was a lot of killing in Wexford at that time, but that's been revisited as well. There's a historian in Drata who says that maybe Cromwell wasn't as bad as the Irish think he was. <laughs> so <laughs> you might have a hard time changing people's minds, <laughs> and won't you? that he? one, possibly, <laughs> we will. <laughs> and it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed for bringing us into the grounds here. Will you stay and listen to this wonderful carol? I'd love to. Thank you. So we're standing in the lee of the building now, right under a, a tower, and it's a, it's a rather wonderful, awe-inspiring spot, this, isn't it, with the ruined building around us and the graveyard here? It is. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Very calm. Yes. Yeah. A bit windy, but, <laughs> but nice. <laughs> and nice you're going and to quiet. sing one of the carols for us. What are you going to I sing? Am. I'm going to sing The Darkest Midnight in December, the first of the carols that I ever learned, that I ever heard, and um, my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> and who is this by? This one is the first in the Deverex collection called The New Garland and it's probably written by Father Deverex, all right, and it's for Christmas Day. And, and the carols have allotted days, do they, some they of them? They do, they do. Many of them are for the different 12 days of Christmas. Um, this one is for Christmas And, and is there a itself. hidden meaning in it? Is there some sense of the persecution that Catholics were going through at the time? Quite likely. It was, it was quite common to write in code, you know, to, to have, have hidden meanings in things that were written in the 18th century, yes. Um, and so it's, it's entirely possible that the people who sang these carols and heard these carols identified with the persecution by Herod of the Innocents, for example, and by um, Mary and Joseph being turned away from the inn and trying to find somewhere to be. And these were people who had to worship in the corner of a field That's or right. in a wooden That's shed, right. weren't they? Yes. So they would have seen that imagery, presumably, and felt Indeed. some kinship Possibly. with it. Entirely possible, yes. The darkest midnight in December Sacred story 
redemption, pride and will. They thought I was mean for to obtain such glorious seats and crowns in heaven. So Absolutely beautiful. Thank oh, you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And it's interesting to just to hear the decorated way in which the notes are, are sung. Yes. Is that very much the way it's handed down? It is. It is, I believe, yeah. I have heard the lovely singers in Kilmore one frosty Christmas tide. And, um, oh, it's amazing how they sing. They all sing in a very, very ornamented way, but each in their own time. So there are six of them. They start off together and then they ornament and, and take their own time on the various various notes and the various ornaments and then just all come back together again at the ends of phrases. Beautiful. Of course, like <laughs> I'm only one. So <laughs> well, we <laughs> had the great privilege 
of going to Kilmore last evening oh, to meet two of the singers, to meet Dixie Deverooks and his son Bobby Deverooks, who are very much part of this tradition of, of singing these carols. And Dixie's in his 70s now, uh, a retired fisherman. And we sat down in his sitting room to learn more about the tradition that they're still keeping alive in Kilmore. We practice in everyone's house, the six of us, six different houses, six weeks before Christmas we start. And there have to be six men singing, is that and, right? And it's been six men all the time. And are you all descended from families who've traditionally sung the carols? Yeah, up about a couple of years, yeah. We've never got some new lads in. Because I've got a little book you've given me here, yeah. and it's got a list of the names oh, yeah. of the former carol singers yeah. going back for years, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. We've got Tom Harper. Uh, Peter, Peter Harper, yeah. Joe McGrath. Peter Deverick's. Peter Deverick's. Pete, Pete Deverick's. Ben Deverick's. So are you related to these Deverick's? Yes. Yeah. They're maybe an uncle of mine. Pete Deverick's would be. And, and did you pick this up from your dad? Yeah, yeah. So he used to sing them? He, he sang them for 62 years. 62 years? 62 My goodness. Yeah. Wow. Never missed a Christmas for 62 years. Right. What was his name? Johnny Deverick's. Right, so the six of you get together and practice before yeah, Christmas. Yeah, you come out to everyone's house, like. And how many carols do you learn? We sing all the carols really in the house. Right, and how many are there? There's sixteen. I think. There's one for every day. Sixteen. Here they are in the book. Your son Bobby's here. Bobby, yeah. you, do you sing as well? I do. Yeah. Yes, my father there. Oh yeah, and these are six singers. Yeah. There's a black and white photograph of the of yeah. the singers, and this yeah. is your dad in the middle, is it? Oh, Come that's on. Jack Deverick. Okay. Leaves. So he's Johnny Deverick. That's yeah. Johnny. Johnny. That's Jack Busher, Jimmy Revel, Liam Sheel, Jimmy Gow. Or Jimmy Gow, the baker, you actually better know <laughs> The baker. Nickname. The baker. <laughs> and when would that be, that picture, do you think? Oh, the 60s, early 70s. Right, so they're all dressed up in the suits and ties here, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. And, and were you learning them when you were a little lad? We didn't know. No. And I didn't sing it for years for a simple reason. I was fishing and I wouldn't be home for practice. So you worked as a fisherman? I worked as a fisherman. Right. And the year I started, we felt the date shortly after that. Oh, I see. Mm. And so, uh, did you have to learn them from him, or di- did you learn them oh, from did, other yeah. people? I did, yeah. I learned from him. Well, did I know? I learned from other guys. I got a book, you see, and we used to go with the lads then to practice. Mm. And Bobby, did you start learning them when you were a little lad? No, to tell you the truth. No, I didn't. <laughs> I was in 2007 when he lost a member who actually sang for Nearly Bones for 40 years, well, Liam Shield. And it was actually Liam's son that asked me to join, Jimmy, who's still singing today. So I'm singing, what, this is 15 years now this year. Right. And why is it six men? It's, it's always been six men. Why would I don't know, really? I suppose going back here to the Catholic Church, anyway, the, the women wouldn't be let sing. There is a local man, he has a, one of the carol books, printed in 1823. Wow. With the original carol's yeah. words in there. And actually, when you look at the words that we have, certain words have changed over the years. But you that's know? the nature of the tradition, yes, isn't it, it yeah. that people change the old words? Because at the time, you, see, you weren't allowed to have the books. Well, you had to learn them off by heart. You had to learn You were given a book, write it down. You had to give me your own book and write it down. Mm-hmm. Um, it. See this book? My father wrote that out. Oh, my goodness, look, that's handwritten. Handwritten. That could and be back from the 30s. Look, may I have a little look? Do you mind touch it? Yeah, no. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, boy, oh, boy. So this, this is in your father's own handwriting? Yes, yeah. So he wrote, is, uh, this is, here we are, The Darkest Night in December, in the... Words here, beautifully handwriting is, is yeah, gorgeous, he, he, isn't he, it? Right Real copper plate handwriting, this. Yeah. And uh, oh, this is such an extraordinary thing to see. Yeah. Here we are. Christmas Day is come. Yeah. 
Let us prepare for mirth. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> That's a good one. It's so lovely to see it in his hand, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, St. Stephen's Day, which is what I would know as Boxing Day, presumably, yeah, yeah, the day yeah, after yeah, Christmas yeah. Day, St. Stephen's Day. This is St. Stephen's Day. It's feast we solemnise. From him we learn to pardon and love our enemies. He's the just Christian martyr that passed from earth to heaven. And so, I, I don't know if I can ask this, but would you sing one of the carols for us now? I'll sing one verse of one for you, sir. Oh, that would be fantastic. Would you give it a try? What one do you want to go with that? Christmas Eve is the first verse. With Christmas Eve, and that's Darkest Midnight, yeah, is it? Midnight. Yeah. Okay, that would be lovely. Peter Deverell brought him to Kilmore in 1751. So they've been sung in Kilmore since 1751. Wow. So why do you think it is that they survive here, particularly in Kilmore? I don't really know, to be honest. Why? Stubbornness, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Probably with the, with the Derrick's name, you know. I'd say. And they've always been a Derrick singing. And there's a lot of Derricks are still around here now. Not as many as there were, like, but... Yeah. <laughs> So I wonder if you can tell me what it what it feels like on Christmas Day when you sing those carols. Does it does it feel special to you? Do you get emotional about ah, it? It does. It does, yeah. Especially since my father went, like, you know. You remember him as you're singing yeah, them. Yeah, he sang him all his life as a fellow and you know. And so you're doing it in a way in memory of him. Yeah, exactly, yeah. True. In a way, I'm sorry I didn't start him early because Pop got the opportunity to see Dad singing. He never got the opportunity to see me singing. So your granddad never saw you no, that's what we and didn't him. know we that it was going Pop. to be passed on? Yeah, we know we always called him Pop. Pop, OK. So Pop <laughs> he, never saw that. Yeah. He died on New Year's Day, 2004. And so every time you sing one of the carols, yeah. his voice is in your head. And we always have Mass on New Year's Day. It's always to him as well, to Aunt me, Nanny. I, I think there is more people now wanting to sing him than what there were years ago. Well, why do you think that is? I think so, yeah. Why, why do you think that might be? Because the priests were against them at one time. One we had in the 50s, <laughs> he didn't want to carry some. Oh, really? Yeah. What did he say? He tried to stop him, and the, the lads wouldn't give in to him. But they were reduced out to one verse. And there was only two singers. Yeah. So he cut back the number of singers, yeah. and he cut back the number of verses. Yeah. He announced on the altar one Christmas that this is the last year you're going to hear the carols. And as our parish priest declared one time, thank God he said our Lord stepped in and 
took him during the year and our cars continue to this oh day. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> there was retribution yeah, yeah. from above. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the way Father Dennis put it like that. So I was good that way, like the way he put it. As soon as he died, a lot of people came back to the church in Kilmore. Mm. And a lot of people came back then to sing the carols and sang them on. And then, you know, the tradition's been going ever since, like, you know, being strong. So and how does it feel to be part of something that's been going on for so long, for so many hundreds of years? Lovely, I think, to be honest. And is there a little tradition after you finish singing? Do you have a meal together or do you have oh, a drink? Have a, you have a meal twelfth day. Just one day, like, you know. And we usually went to Quigley's pub across the road from the church and look after it pretty well. Right, so you have a good drink up in Quigley's yeah. pub. And is there more singing in the pub? Oh, yeah. oh there would be. <laughs> what sort of songs do you sing in the pub, then? Well, well, whatever you have. Whatever song you know. Yeah, song you know. <laughs> and some we don't know, and she'll say you sing them. <laughs> <laughs> brought a friend I to have. join us now who's this I have. this is Eamon Galdov the fantastic pipes and flute player and whistle player have you brought all your instruments Eamon I've brought a few of them yeah I've the, the pipes and the flute for for today sing and play right. together and what are you going, We're to... going to perform some verses of ye sons of men I think there are 28 verses usually but we're just doing nine <laughs> all right we'll cut back on that one a bit yeah, and, and Eamon have you had to arrange this or is this an arrangement that you've got from somewhere else this is an arrangement that Katrina put together, actually. She's fantastic at uh, coming up with innovative, <laughs> but very, I suppose, traditional and of the time arrangements, which is fascinating to actually play as, as a, a melody player. And, so and is this a whistle this. or a flute tune that you're uh, going this to play? Is, this is arranged for flute and voice, which, again, are I- interesting textures you don't often hear unaccompanied voice with, with flute. And uh, it's a lovely arrangement by Katrina, so looking forward to it. <laughs> Sons of men with mere choice and praise the heavens with height and voice for joyful tidings you we bring of this heavenly babe, the newborn king. Who from his mighty throne above came down to magnify his love to all such as would him embrace and would be born again in grace. An angel by heaven's command to a spotless virgin in the land one of the seed of David king these joyful tidings for to bring he hailed this virgin full of grace and told her that in nine months she should bring forth a son and he 
the savior of mankind should be. When Mary, that most blessed maid, heard all the angel to her said, she to retirement straight did hide the Lord to praise and magnify. She piously in great content each day in contemplation spent until at length the time drew near to Bethlehem she did repair. She friendless ranged up and down to find a lodging in the town. But alas, most heavenly guest, no pity found in grief for to hire unto a stable that was nigh, where of a son she delivered was between an ox and lowly ass. This spotless mother, wife and maid, no mortal heart to to want and piercing cold the Lord of life you may behold that was wonderful thank you very much and you're doing it in very seasonal elements it's windy <laughs> it's rain dropping on us <laughs> but uh, you, you've not just collaborated with Eamon on these carols I mean when you made the albums you made two albums of these you've got some extraordinary people yes. uh, performing with you tell us who, who's on the albums some amazing talent all right um the first volume of the wexford carols we recorded in 2014 after many 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 years of, of uh, thinking about it and planning it and plotting it it was produced by joe henry who's legendary and i was incredibly lucky to be able to share the talents of the singers tom jones Roseanne Cash, Rhiannon Giddens, and Rhiannon also played banjo and, and fiddle, and Donald Lunny, who is a complete legend in Ireland as well and, and, and abroad, playing bazooki and mandolin, and um, John Smith, the guitarist, um, the guitarist singer, and yeah, singer yeah. 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 We've had him on the podcast. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, oh, was it difficult to persuade people like Roseanne Cash and, and Tom Jones to sing all. these traditional Irish carols? Not at all. Or at least, I mean, <laughs> I don't think so. I didn't do the persuading. That was <laughs> Joe. But they seemed to, to get a real, a real thrill out of it. Well, a deep, quiet thrill <laughs> out of singing them. Tom said that it brought it back to his chapel singing days, and Roseanne said she could hear the link with Appalachian music that, you know, the Carter family music that she grew up with. That um, it's modal, it's different, but but she can she could hear the roots in there as well. And it was a big seller, wasn't it? I mean, it was a, it it was was a big was, success. Yeah. And so you went on yeah. and did 
Volume 2. Volume 2, With yes. some other interesting collaborators. Again, yes. Seth Lakeman, for example, Indeed. who's been on this podcast. Exactly. Who, Seth who sang and, and played, played fiddle and viola on it. John Smith again. <laughs> and Ethan Johns produced that one with, with Dom Monks. My good friend Clara Sanabras was singing. Uh, she's my singing soul sister. She's the most wonderful person to sing with. She also played um, Renaissance guitar, Baroque guitar. You had Alison Balsam, uh, didn't you, the Alison trumpeter? Alison Balsam, exactly, playing a few different trumpets, um, being the angel Gabriel <laughs> coming down from heaven. The choir Steely Antico, a good friend of mine who plays lute and Renaissance guitar, um, Simone Colavecchi. My sister, Deirdre O'Leary, playing clarinet, and uh, John Hearn on, on bassoon. And I hope you, I haven't left anyone out. Were you responsible <laughs> for the arrangements, uh, or yes. did you have help? No, you, you yes. made the arrangements, because it's an yeah. interesting thing to take these carols that have been sung for centuries and then to arrange them for the 21st century audience. Was that something of yes. a challenge? Yes, it was. I mean... Having been brought up in, in, in the traditions, uh, one of them being, being traditional music where the tradition is, is the religion, you know, and you don't, you don't change it. <laughs> You're taught it and you play it that way, you sing it that way. And then also being schooled in the early music tradition where you assiduously, diligently look at the, the available information. Look at the um, manuscripts, look at the manuscripts and the notes. And exactly, and the treatises on how things were done and then you know, various scholars' interpretation of what <laughs> what those treatises mean. Really, to stray from orthodoxy is quite scary. <laughs> but I got over it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you created some beautiful arrangements. And so oh, I would recommend you. anyone to go and listen to the albums and buy a copy, for goodness sake. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and, and I think now we're going to go somewhere a little distance from here, which is a name that associates with Wexford, yes. the Wexford Carol. That's right. Is the Ennis Corthy Carol, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, which is uh, uh, just up the road from here. Yes. W- can we go there and, and sing that? Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> That'd be so appropriate. And can we bring Eamon with us? Please. Yes, come with us, Eamon. Yeah. He's going to give me a lift. So and, yes, and have please. you got the pipes uh, to play as well? I do, yes. We'll play yes. the pipes there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be yeah. fantastic. Thank you. Well, we've come about uh, 20 minutes drive north of Wexford Town now to the town of Enniscorthy, really beautiful place on the River Slaney and uh, surrounded by the Blackstairs Mountains. And we've come to the cathedral, St Aidan's Cathedral, which has a powerful link to the Wexford Carols. 
Father Tom Dalton, how lovely to see you here in St. Aidan's Cathedral. What's the history of this building? So this is a Pugin Cathedral. Uh, Pugin was an architect, designed the Houses of Parliament, but he's particularly known for his stencil work. So the, it's very colourful, very bright, and um, we're just glad to be able to have restored it, and we use it as our place of worship. And do you sing the Enniscorthy Carol here at Christmas? We do. It's, it's a, a favourite among everyone here. Uh, so the choir are very much acquainted with it and love singing it. Yeah. Well, so it's beautiful to, that you're here to do this. We're today. going to hear Katrina sing it now. Thank you very much indeed. So Katrina, why is this a significant place in the history of the, the Wexford carols? Well, there was a historian called Grattan Flood who was the organist at St Aidan's. And he collected a couple of carols, including what is known as the Enniscorthy Christmas Carol, or sometimes known as just the Wexford Carol. He collected them here and sent them, submitted them to the compilers of the Oxford Book of Carols in 1928. And so it got published in the Oxford Book of Carols and out into the world and, and became really quite famous. And when you say he collected it, he would have heard it from a traditional singer who'd exactly. been preserving it in the oral tradition. Exactly. And then he noted it down. Absolutely, yes. Apparently it's not in any of the carol books, the manuscript versions of carols that were circulated in South Wexford, you know, in the early 20th century or 19th century. But... Um, it was clearly in the oral tradition if he collected it and at least since then it has been extremely popular here and the version I'm going to sing has an extra verse at the end that is not in the Grattan Flood version but this was collected from another carol singer in Wexford I think it was early in the 20th century who learned it from his mother who learned it from her mother so um, another beautiful orally um, gifted <laughs> gifted down to us uh, version of the song. And Eamon's going to accompany you on the pipes. Eamon, I just want to ask you about the set of pipes that you brought with you. Are there a, a particular set that you need for this carol? So this is a set pitched in B, which would be close to where the instrument was originally designed. So it's known as a flat set. So originally, like, the Ilan pipes emerged from the 17, early 1700s onwards, coming from an instrument called the pastoral pipes, and initially they would have been pitched around where this set is now. And then there's a, a slight difference in design. In fact, in the more common concert pitch sets, uh, it's what's called a wide bore. And that was an innovation actually made in the States by the Taylor Brothers more recently. So this is the original design of the instrument. And it's much quieter, in fact, than a concert pitch set, which is another reason why it's particularly uh, useful while accompanying a solo singer. Well, it's a great setting for you to sing the carol here in front of the altar with the stained glass window behind you and the light coming in through that stained glass window in the very spot where the organist would have played it, the man who took it down. What an extraordinarily evocative moment that will be. Good people all this Christmas time Consider well and bear in mind What our good God for us has done In sending his beloved Son With Mary only we should pray to God With love 
this Christmas day. In Bethlehem upon that morn, there was a blessed Messiah born. The night before the happy tide, the noble virgin and her guide were a long time seeking up and down to find a lodging in the town. But mark how all things came to pass From every door repelled, alas As long foretold their refuge was but a humble ox's store Near Bethlehem did shepherds keep their flocks of lambs and feeding sheep. To whom God's angel did appear, which put the shepherds in great fear. Prepare and go, the angel said, to Bethlehem, be not for there you'll find this happy morn, a princely babe, sweet Jesus born. With thankful heart and joyful mind, the shepherds went the babe to find. And as God's angel had foretold, did our Savior Christ behold. Within a manger there he laid, and by his side the Virgin maid. Attending on the Lord of life, who came on earth to end all strife. Men from afar, directed by a glorious star, came boldly on and made no stay until they came where Jesus lay. And when they came unto that place and looked with love on Jesus' face, to greet with gifts of gold and incense sweet. Come, let us then our tribute pay to our good God as well we may. For all his grace and mercy shown through his Son to us given And as day by day in faith and hope whatever before we'll wait in peace this holy call that sounded absolutely wonderful thank you so much thank you, thank you.
Thank you. Thank you, Eamon. Thank you, Katrina. It's been absolutely a joy and to hear these carols. Too. Yes, and to sing <laughs> them here is, is so evocative. I wanted to just ask a little personal question of you yes. both at the end about what your Christmas plans might be. How, do you have any Christmas traditions in your house? How do you normally spend it? Yes, well, I spend it with my family. I live quite near my parents, and so we all get together and make music, eat lots of food and make music. So there'll be singing <laughs> and playing? There will be, yep. And yep. the Enniscorthy Carol, will that be on the menu? I think it will be, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Eamon? How, how do you normally spend Christmas? Likewise, um, family's very important at Christmas. Typically, my family, uh, kids, my wife, we would have gone to stay with my mum, and that sort of changed now she comes to us. But uh, there's talk this year of maybe a little trip to Rome immediately after Christmas, which would be a departure. So we might introduce them to the Enniscorthy Carol. Right, so you might, you'd yeah. definitely get the pipes out on Christmas Day, would you? Um, I don't think I'll be allowed. I'm not sure that... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Too much of a nuisance. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful to spend time with you, and I wish you a very happy Christmas. And to you. Thank you, Matthew. And if you want to stay in the festive spirit, well, we've filmed all the performances by Eamon and Katrina, and we've put them into Folk on Foot on Film, which is our amazing and ever-growing archive of songs filmed on our travels around the UK and Ireland. And if you want to see that, all you have to do is become a patron. You'll make a small monthly contribution and you'll get loads of rewards. And that money goes back into making more episodes of Folk on Foot. So if you're feeling generous this Christmas, please sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash folkonfoot. It would mean so much to us and it would mean we could keep on going into the new year and well beyond. Thank you.